0: This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Brava. All right, so this morning, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about our new life and identity in Jesus. Amen. We all know that we have new life and new identity in Jesus. At least I hope we do. Amen. Amen. Because what happens is is that when we receive salvation in Jesus, that's exactly what we receive. We receive new life and we receive new identity. So two things that we receive, new life, new identity. And praise God for that. And there's a reason why God does. And so even though it may be familiar, a familiar truth with us, specifically New Creation Church, I know that we've had all teaching about this. So we are familiar with it. But, you know, there's many that don't understand this like they should. And here's how we know that they don't understand it. I actually have come across many a believer who has received salvation in Jesus a long time ago. So, you know, they've been saved, for the lack of a better word, for a long time. But yet I hear these kind of things. I hear them saying these kind of things. Here are some examples that reveal whether someone really understands that when they receive salvation in Jesus, they, they, have, they get new life and they get new identity. This is proof that they lack that understanding. For example, they'll say things like, I gave my life to Jesus. Now, you may say, well, what's wrong with that? That's one of our wonderful Christianese cliches. Please don't kill that one. Well, that's a sacred cow that needs to be killed because we don't give our lives to Jesus. I'm going to show you that today. Amen. We receive new life in Jesus. We don't, I mean, what can he do with our fallen sinful life in Adam? Nothing. So this is why he gives us new life. And so if someone says, well, you need to give your life to Jesus, or I gave my life to Jesus, really what they're saying is that they don't understand that they receive new life and new identity in Jesus. Here's another one. You know, people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And believers think they've been humble and they've been pious when they say that. But when they identify themselves as a sinner saved by grace, though partially true, the grace part, by saying that they are still a sinner, they are actually revealing to us that they don't understand that they received new life and new identity in Jesus. In actual fact, this morning, early, I was up early praying, and uh, you know, I've, I've got these different podcasts that I listen to, and uh, sometimes it's to do with the news, with interviews, and I was catching up on one that I needed to. And uh, he has this well known pastor, he's a phenomenal author. He's been referred to as, you know, the, the author, the writer of in, in the Christian, in Christendom. And yet I heard him say this morning, you know, that he's just a sinner saved by grace. And he said it so sweetly, so humbly, but yet it reveals that, you know, and and I used to say it in my BG days. So, you know, I'm putting myself in the bucket, but that shows that we don't understand or we don't have full understanding that we've received new life and new identity in Jesus. Because if we did, we wouldn't say things like that. We wouldn't say, I gave my life to Jesus or we wouldn't tell someone to give their lives to Jesus and we wouldn't refer to ourselves as a sinner saved by grace and then here's another one i'm sure you've heard people say this you may have even have said this you know well God has first place in my life or you hear someone preaching and they say you need to give God first place in your life well (laughs) God isn't looking for a place but and I'll get into that a bit more. I don't. Want to, I don't want to run ahead of myself. But what I want to share with you and, and tell you with that is, is that things like that, clichés like that, which are based on taught doctrine, you know, in mainstream Christianity, that shows us that they are they haven't been taught correctly. That shows us that the people who say those things and mean it and refer to it don't really understand that they've received a new life, new life and new identity. In Jesus this is why we need to cover these things now you may be guilty of some of these and there's a lot more (laughs) I don't want to list the whole lot but at least that gives us just an idea of where we're going here today and so many think in Christendom many think that when they receive salvation in Jesus what really happens is, is that God begins to change and improve the life they have or their life So, that's what they see it as. They see it as a fresh beginning, as a new beginning. I am who I am. God's going to help me. He's going to improve me. And eventually, I'm going to get somewhere. Now, even though that's partially true, that again shows us that they don't understand that they received new life and new identity in Jesus. Because what that would mean is is that their identity hasn't changed. That would mean that their life hasn't changed. That means that all God is going to do is just improve the one they have. God is going to improve the life they have, and He's going to improve the identity they have. And sadly, the identity we have before receiving salvation in Jesus is the identity of Adam, fallen Adam, sinful Adam. And that's the life that we have. And so, you know, someone who thinks, well, God is just going to help me, change me, improve me, they're still identifying with that new that that identity and that life. And again, that reveals to us that we don't fully understand the subject or the truth, the revelation. And so that means that all that also would mean that we are stuck with the identity we have in fallen Adam. And I'm telling you, I refuse. I don't want to be stuck with the identity that I have in Adam. Because if Adam who fell and was sinful after the fall and we are his natural descendants, then you know, we are fallen beings. I don't want to be stuck with that identity in Jesus. It's not going to help me. And sadly, you know, in traditional teaching kind of conveys that, sadly. And so, I mean, if you think about it, if we were to think that way, what it would mean really is is that we still need to evaluate our standing before God on the basis of our merit and our performance. Because if we still have the life we had in Adam, If we still have the identity that we had in Adam, it means that now we need to do our very best with Jesus and the help of the Holy Spirit and salvation. We need to do our very best to try and prove to God that we are changing, that we are worthy, that we should be acceptable and he should evaluate us differently. And really and truly, all that does is it leads into a legalistic relationship with God. In other words, I'll do in order to get. And if I don't do, I know that I'm not going to get. And that's not the way God wants it to be in Jesus, in the new covenant. Amen. And so also the other thing that I want to point out is, is that we cannot derive our identity before God, our life before God. We cannot derive it from the way we look, from the way we feel, From the way we think and from the way we choose. We can't define our life before God, our identity before God, on the basis of our achievements and our externals and the way we look, we feel and think and choose. Really what I'm talking about is is our physical body, our body and our soul. Our soul consists of our will, mind and emotions. Our feeler, our thinker and our chooser. We cannot derive our identity from that and our life before God on the basis of that. No, we cannot. When we receive salvation in Jesus, God gives us new life and new identity. Praise God. Amen. And it's a life and an identity that supersede the life and identity that we had in fallen Adam. Amen. Praise God. Now I know that I'm saying a lot, and I'm going to show you all the scripture to prove that. Now, at the same time, I want to point this out to you that Satan likes nothing more than for believers to live in ignorance about the new life and new identity they have in Jesus. if satan can <clears throat> can keep a believer from realizing and living in the new life and identity that they have in Jesus, he's got them where he wants them he'll be happy they can, they can say they're Christians they can go around saying that they gave their lives to Jesus and uh, what else did I say? They get life, that their sinner saved by grace and that God has first place in their life. He doesn't mind doing all that as long as they never come to the realization and the revelation that they actually have new life and new identity because when they do, he's in trouble. Now, all of a sudden, he's, he is powerless. He's defeated. But as you know, if we give him the power, if we give him the room, he will take it. And so, you know, he loves nothing more than for a believer to be in ignorance about their new life and identity Jesus, And so if he can keep you in the dark or neglecting your new life and identity in Jesus, he's happy. Because then he will try and get you to live a defeated life, even though you are victorious in Jesus. And this is why he attacks it. This is why he comes up with all kinds of doctrines and he prevents the teaching of this uh, in the body of Christ. Or he tries to anyway. You see, here's the thing. And the best way that I can liken it is to identity theft. Now, none of us enjoy identity theft. And if you've been a victim of identity theft, well, you know what that's like. You know what that feels like. You know what it's, it's a horrible way. I actually uh, met someone who had their identity stolen as, as a young 20, 20-something-year-old. And she's my age, so she's 50-something. And you know that to this day, even if she wants to just make a simple transaction, sometimes there's a block, there's a stop. And even though she got lawyers and she's trying to clear the whole thing and everything, it's still there in the background. And at times it creeps its ugly head and brings unpleasantness into her life. So identity theft is not something fun. And you know, just for interest's sake, I was looking and I Googled it yesterday, you know, just what the statistics are on identity theft in the United States. Do you know that on average for the last few years, 15 million, 15 million, that's about almost 5% of the US's population, 15 million people a year on average become victims of identity theft. In other words, someone steals their identity and then they go and get credit cards, they buy things, they, they find ways to get money with their identity and destroy and ruin the person's credit and life. In the in in the process, and so fifteen million, and you know what the estimated value is of that? Fifty billion a year, fifty billion U.S. dollars through fraud are gained by people who steal someone else's identity. So it's it's a sta- sad state of affairs. It's just not the kind of thing we want around. This is why. And this is my opinion so do what you like with it but i always encourage people you know encourage you as believers get some form yes we trust god yes we believe god but get some form of protection on your credit you know i know that with us we have this company who for a small fee a month gives us protection and whenever there's a query whenever anything happens with our credit with they monitor it all the time the minute there's something it sends us a quick alert and lets us know. So we can go in and check and phone the institution and stop it or whatever it is. And so it's good protection. And so I don't want to promote any specific one, but I'm just telling you there's many out there and I encourage that strongly. But again, that's my opinion. But anyway, without diverting too much from what we're sharing here today, you know, the devil in the same way, just like evil is behind identity theft. Well, evil is behind Trying to steal our identity and our new life in Jesus. Because if He can steal it, if He can steal us away from it, then He's going to have us living in a dreaded way, but yet we hang on because we love God and we want to be in heaven one day. So, you know, don't let Him steal your new life, the revelation of your new life and your new identity in Jesus. He can't steal your new life or your identity, but he can steal the revelation of your new life and identity. Don't let him do that. Amen. So the more you and I know or discover about our new life and our new identity in Jesus, the more we will live in it, but also the more we will learn to protect it because it is so easy to just drift from it. And so let's have a look at Romans chapter 6. Verse 3 to 6. Let's get into some of the word here and see what God has to say. So, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 6, from the King James. It says, Know ye not, in other words, make sure you know this, that so many of us, so uh, no, that so many, yeah, so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father even so watch us now we should walk in newness of life see that new life for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death he shall be also we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that our old man is crucified with him. That's who you were in Adam. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. So two things that we see there. Newness of life and new identity. Because it says your old man who you were in Adam was crucified and destroyed. Put to death in other words. Praise God for that. Amen. And so there we have the wonderful revelation right there. What I've been saying, sharing with you, is that when we receive salvation in Jesus, we receive new life. Our life doesn't get improved. He doesn't start working on our life. No, we receive new life. And we receive new identity because the identity we had in Adam was put to death. It was destroyed, as it says in this translation here. I want to read verse 6, the first part of verse 6, from the Passion Translation. And look how it puts it. Could it be any clearer, watch this, that our former identity is now and forever, now and forever, deprived of its power. Look at that real carefully. It says that our identity in Adam is now former in Jesus. So we no longer relate to that identity and that it is powerless and deprived of its power now and forever. Praise God. Amen. I mean, that alone shows us that the life and identity that you had in fallen Adam died and stopped at the cross in Jesus. So when Jesus said, it is finished, and He gave up His life for you and me, well, that's when the identity we had in Adam stopped and died, And the life we had in Adam stopped and died. Amen. And so when you and I receive salvation in Jesus at some point in our life, all those realities become true, become real in our lives. So you need to realize that when you receive salvation in Jesus, you received new life and new identity. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, guess what it says there? It says, you rose with him. And how did you rise with him? With new life and new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is where we get the name of our church from. Watch what it says here. It says, Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, talking about receiving salvation in Jesus, he or she is a new creature. Look at that. New creature. Not refurbished, not fixed, not work in progress. It says, That person is a new creature. It says, all things have passed away, referring to identity and life in Adam. Behold, all things are become new, referring to in Jesus, life in Jesus and identity in Jesus. Praise God for that. So you are a new creature. In actual fact, other translations say new creation. And if you look up the original word, it's actually creation. We are a new creation. This is why we are new Creation Church. It actually should be called New Creations Church because we're all there. Amen. But anyway, so let me show you that same verse from the New Living Translation. It says, "This means that anyone who belongs to Christ—in other words, who has received salvation in Jesus—watch has become a new person. The old life, talking about in Adam, is gone. A new life, talking about in Jesus." has begun. Explains it to us a lot clearer, doesn't it? So you can see from that, that when you receive salvation in Jesus, the realities that happen at the cross become yours. And what that means is that you receive new life. You become a new person. You're no longer associated or related to Adam. This body may be because as the result of that, but that's it. That's where it stops. You don't have his life anymore you don't relate to his life and you don't relate to his identity anymore we see that real clearly amen so yeah even though we still live in this earthly body and yes we do make mistakes sometimes and anyone who says they don't they're lying (laughs) because we all make mistakes in this body but that does not alter our new life and our new identity in jesus I know that mainstream teaching will tell you otherwise, but that's not gospel truth. Even though we live in this body, and yes, it is subject to temptation, subject to make mistakes, subject to mess up at times, that doesn't change the the life and identity we have in Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't given to you on the basis of your merit or your performance. It was given to you on the basis of God's love and grace. Amen? On the basis of what He did for us in and through Jesus. Amen. The finished work of the Christ is what we're talking about. So our new life and identity before God is the same as Jesus' new life and identity before God. So the way God sees Jesus in terms of life and identity is the way He sees us in terms of life and identity as well. Look at this. If In case you don't believe that, we're familiar with this one. I, I say it all too often. 1 John 4, 17 from the King James. It says, herein is our love made perfect. In other words, the revelation of God's love for us. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We're not going to be fearful or scared. We're going to have boldness. And here's the reason why. Because, talking about Jesus now, watch this. As he is, so are we in this world. So it's not even talking about, you know, eternity or future tense. It's talking about now. So the moment we receive salvation in Jesus, God sees us the way he sees Jesus. Why? Because we have new life. We have new identity. Or let me put it this way more accurately. We have his life and we have his identity. No longer Adams. Praise God for that. Amen. So God sees you and Jesus as one and the same. That's something else that that verse reveals to us. So, Two things we see clearly so far, that we are given new life in Jesus, and we are given new identity in Jesus. Can I hear an amen from someone? All right, that was a little weak, but I'll take it. (laughs) So at salvation, we lose our life and our identity in Adam, and we receive new life and new identity in Jesus. This is why We cannot or we are not sinners saved by grace. Because by saying that you are a sinner saved by grace, it means that you don't have revelation, that you have new life and new identity. You're still connecting with sinful Adam. That's why we cannot say that. And that's why we don't give our lives to Jesus. God can do nothing with our sinful fallen life in Adam. That life that identifies with Adam, God can do nothing with it. It cannot enter heaven. This is why He puts it to death. He put it to death at the cross. And this is why we were resurrected, so we can receive new life in Jesus. So we don't give our life to Jesus or to God. It dies. It died at the cross. It dies when we receive salvation in Jesus. We receive His life. Amen. So instead of giving anything to God, we receive something from God. Amen. Now, that might be a minor technicality, and some of us might like the cliche and we, you know, because it makes us feel like we're speaking good Christianese. But come on, if we want to be biblically correct, then we need to say the right thing. Amen. We are not sinners saved by grace, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We don't give our lives to Jesus, we receive the life of Jesus. Amen. And so at salvation, what God did is He took us out of the family of sinful Adam and placed us into the righteous family of Jesus, His family. Amen. <clears throat> Let's have a look at this. Let's go have a look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3 from the Amplified Translation. Talking about you. Watch what it says. For you, what's the next word? Died. I mean, what could it be any clearer? For you died to this world and, watch this, your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. So look at that real carefully. It says that who you were in Adam died in this world, to this world. And now you have new real life in Jesus, but then it says it is hidden with Christ in God. Now that hidden sometimes throws some off. They seem to think that, you know, what that means is is that, see, we're still still in this, we're still in Adam. But somewhere deep down when God looks, he can see through all the filters and see Jesus on the inside of us. You know, that's what they think it is. And so it makes them think that they still have the life and identity that they had in Adam. It's just that somewhere deep down there, you know, the life and identity in Jesus is hidden there somewhere. Well, to help us clarify that, which is not what it says, because if you read that in context and study the, the original words, that's not what it's saying. So let's have a look at the same portion from the message translation. And it amplifies it real beautifully from the original. Watch what it says. Talking about Adam and Jesus, okay? Or in Adam and in Jesus. It says, your old life is dead. I mean, that's it. It's done. Your new life, which is your real life. Watch this. Even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God, He is your life. Wow, pretty powerful, isn't it? So what really this is saying, what that verse is saying, is that even though on the outside, people who've known you all your life, they still see the same person. So it's not really visible to them, unless they're able to see in the Spirit, see with their spiritual eyes. It says it's invisible to them that you have new life, and that you have new identity. But that doesn't mean that it's not there, because it is there, is what it's saying. Praise God for that. Amen. So in other words, even though naturally speaking, others cannot see your new life and your new identity in Jesus, it is there. That's the point that he's making. It is there. He's giving us a certainty. And guess what? The one who needs to see it, sees it. Praise God. Who are we talking about? We're talking about God. He's the only one that matters at the end of the day. He's the only one that needs to see that we have new life and identity in Jesus. And you know what? He sees it. So even though those on the outside, those of us who are in this world with us don't see it, God sees it. Praise God. Amen. And so God sees you in Christ and He sees Christ in you. That's another way you can put that. Praise God. So we are totally... Totally in Christ. Praise God. And so, you know, the devil will try and tell you otherwise. Of course, he will. But guess what? (laughs) Or let me make a suggestion. The devil will try and tell you otherwise, especially when you make mistakes, especially when carnality shows up. He's going to try and tell you see, maybe you didn't really receive salvation in Jesus. Maybe you're not really saved. You know, maybe you didn't give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're just a sinner saved by grace. Or, you know, you're not giving God first place. Well, Whatever he tries to tell you otherwise than the fact that you have new life and new identity in Jesus. My suggestion is this. Don't make his problems your problems. You know, if that's what he wants to believe and he he wants to try and deceive you with, well, don't make his problem yours. Ignore it. You have new life. You have new identity in Jesus. Amen. Let's read that 2 Corinthians 5.17 again from the Amplified Classic this time. It's going to just amplify and show us a little more here. Watch what it says here. <clears throat> Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, watch this, he or she is a new creation. There it is. And then it amplifies it from the original. A new creature altogether. The old, previous, talking about an Adam, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Wow, pretty powerful, isn't it? I mean, it couldn't be any clearer than that. It says that we are a new creation. What does that mean? It means that we are something brand new. It says, Altogether, we're a new creation. And it says who we were in Adam, that whole condition has passed away. It is gone. So a new creation means that we are something totally brand new. And I mean, that's what happens when someone genuinely receives salvation in Jesus. You can't describe it. You can't explain it. But something on the inside of you changes. And you know, and that's what that is. It's that born again. It's that rebirth experience that Jesus spoke about. That's why he said we must be born again. You remember when he was speaking to Nicodemus, he said to him, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus said, how do I do that? I can't go back into my mother's womb. And Jesus said, no, 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 Nicodemus. And I'm putting it in my own words. He says, there is natural birth and there is spiritual birth. And he said, this is why the spiritual birth is a rebirth. Because you were born into fallen Adam, sinful. And now you need to be reborn. So you are given new life a new identity in Jesus. That's what he was talking about. Same thing. And then uh, in Colossians 3 verse 4, we read through earlier, but let me show you verse 4 from the Amplified Classic. Watch what it says here. It says, when Christ, this is so powerful, who is our life. So he doesn't just give us new life. He actually is our life, which is our new life. So when Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in the splendor of his glory. In other words, when Jesus returns, when we see him again, we are going to see him with his life. And then you and I, if we're still alive, will be completely transformed at that point in time. Or if we come back with him, people are going to see us the way we are in Jesus, with our new life and our new identity. And that's what the author is saying here. He is your life because that is what you are now and forevermore. You have new life and you have new identity in Jesus. Amen. So without Jesus, I mean, think about it. We would have no real life or identity before God. We would still be in Adam and that is doomed. That is damned. That is, I mean, there's no hope, right? praise god for jesus and so that's the reason why (laughs) because we just we just saw it now let's put it back on the screen if we can that one notice when christ who is our life so he doesn't just give us something he is our life can you see that this is why we cannot say god has first place in your life because when you say that god has first place in your life it means that you don't have revelation that He is your life. Because if He is your life, He doesn't need a place. He's not looking for a place because He is your life. (laughs) Isn't that so? I mean, I hope that that makes sense. This is why, even though it's a a great cliche, you can't say, "Ah, you know, my aim is to give God first place in my life. What you're saying is, I don't believe He is my life. Because if He is your life, Where is there any place to be given when he is all of it, right? And so praise God for that. He is your life. So the work Jesus did to redeem us is far greater than the work Adam did to cause us to fall, to become sinful. I mean, for sure, for sure. Wouldn't you agree? But just in case we don't, look at Ephesians 2 verse 6 from the Amplified. It says, And he raised us up together with him when we believed. And, watch this, he has the superiority of Jesus' work in comparison to Adam's work. And seated us with him in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. Adam could never do that. What Adam did through the fall could never get us to sit in heavenly places with Jesus. But yet Jesus could and does and did. Amen. And so ultimately, what Jesus did to redeem us is far greater than what Adam did to cause us to fall. This is why we have new life, new identity in Jesus. Romans 5.19 from the King James. For as by one man's disobedience, talking about Adam. Notice that by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. In actual fact, the proper way to translate it would be is the many, referring to all humanity. The many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many. Now the reason why that is many and not the many is because you need to receive salvation in Jesus. So by obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now I want you to look at that real carefully. When Adam disobeyed all of humanity suffered because of that, was affected by that. But yet, when Jesus obeyed and went through the cross, those who receive salvation in Jesus, it says, when they do, they become, they are made righteous. So, He makes us righteous when we receive salvation in Jesus. Amen. So, based on what we've just read then, what I've just said about it, listen to these two questions carefully and tell me what you say. Tell me what your answer is, okay? According to that, how many sins did it take for you to become a sinner? And us, drum roll. <laughs> well, the answer is none, zero. You know why? Because Adam is the one who disobeyed and he fell, he became sinful. Therefore, the rest of us who were born through him, or, you know, going tracing back, because we all do, tracing back to him, We were all born into sin. The psalmist says, you know, I was conceived in sin and I was born a sinner. That's why. Because that's the identity and the life we now had. We had fallen, sinful life and identity. So how many sins did it take for you to become a sinner? None. It was Adam's sin that made you and I a sinner. Right? And so in the same way or conversely, what this is saying is, oh, let me ask you this question. How many right things did it take for you to become righteous? absolutely none, zero. Why? Because you were made righteous in Jesus. And that's why it says, the one man, he disobeyed and it affected all of us. But there is one man who obeyed and all those who receive salvation in him are made righteous. So you can see that righteousness doesn't come to you on the basis of your merit, of your performance, of your doing. It comes by faith, receiving it, you know, receiving salvation in Jesus. You are made righteous. That's how you receive your new life and your new identity in Jesus. Amen. So nothing you do makes you more righteous than you already are. Did you hear what I said? Nothing that you do, let me add this, that you don't do makes you more righteous than you already are. Now, if for any reason you're reading into that that I'm saying it's okay to go and sin and do wrong, you've got me wrong. (laughs) You need heart surgery. You need conscience surgery, quite honestly. And I'm, you know, I'm speaking to all of us here. But the point is this is that nothing we do can make us more righteous than we already are in Jesus. When we receive new life, new identity, that's who we are. You know, just like when you were in Adam, you could be the best sinner out there. You're still a sinner. Well, it's the same thing with new life and new identity in Jesus. You can be the worst righteous person, but you're still a righteous person. Amen. Because it's not on the basis of our merit or performance. So your your new life and identity before God does not depend on your merit or performance. Amen. So that means that all we do for God, we do it because we have new life and identity in Jesus. We don't do it because we are trying to get new life and identity in Jesus. Amen. I'm talking about things like reading our Bible. We don't read it because we're trying to get anything. We do it because we are. We have new life. We have new identity. That's why it's my nature to read my Bible, to give, to tithe, to support my church, to love others, to pray, to um, whatever we do for God, to serve, to all these things. We do all that because we have New life and identity in Jesus. Not because we're trying to get it. Amen. So God does not look at you at who you were in Adam to evaluate you. That's something else we can conclude here. What he does is he looks at who you are in Jesus to evaluate you. Amen. Because remember, as he is, so are we. So he looks at Jesus to evaluate you. Praise God for that. You see, that's new life and new identity in Jesus. And so, let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 from the New Living Translation. It says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. So, let him fix your stinking thinking, is what he's saying. I'm putting it in my own words. Then he says, and what it's about, put on your new nature. See that? New nature. Created to be like God. Watch this. This is what this new nature looks like. Truly righteous and holy. Notice, that is what our new nature is, not what it's going to be. That is our new nature. It is truly righteous and holy. So guess what? You are truly righteous and holy. You see, holiness cannot be achieved. Because if it could, then we wouldn't need Jesus. Righteousness cannot be achieved. Because if it could, we wouldn't need Jesus and the finished work of the cross. It is because it cannot be achieved because of the life and nature we had in Adam. We could never be righteous and holy before God. This is why he puts it to death and that life is gone. And he gives us new life, new identity, so that we can be made righteous and holy. And knowing that we are righteous and holy in our new life, in our new identity in Jesus, then flows righteousness and holiness Out of us because that's our nature amen praise god praise god and so ultimately i encourage you to live by your new life and identity in jesus that's what we see here so far now real quick to come to an ending here i want to share with you three ways that the devil tries to get us to forget our new life and identity in jesus Three ways, and I'm sure there's many others, but these are three of the most common, I would say. And and I share this from my own life too, because that's what I have seen in my life. Three ways that the devil tries to get us to forget that we have new life and new identity in Jesus. Number one, through the accusation of sin. Whenever we mess up, whenever we make mistakes, whenever we fall short, he is sure quick to come and accuse you of that sin. Now, (laughs) did it happen? Yes. Uh, Is the accusation correct? Yeah, on the basis of judging it by the action or by the words, whatever happened. But at the end of the day, his aim is to get you to define yourself on the basis of the shame, guilt, and condemnation that that mistake, that sin, that mess up brought as a result. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to go and do wrong. We need to try and avoid it the best we can and trust God ultimately. But our righteousness, our life and our identity is not on the basis of that, as I've said earlier. And so when you do mess up, when we do fall short, he's going to be the quick to accuse you of it. So why? Because he wants you to walk in shame, guilt and condemnation. And now all of a sudden you begin to define yourself to God, and before God, by that shame, that guilt, and condemnation. And that is how he steals away the revelation of new life and new identity. Don't let him do that. Amen. Just thank God and say, Father, thank you for forgiving me at the cross for all of my sin, past, present, and future. I'm sorry that I did that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me do better next time. But thank you. And, and you speak from a place of new life and new identity in Jesus. So that's the first way that he tries to get us to forget about our new life and identity in Jesus. The second way that he tries to do that is through criticism and judgment for not measuring up. In other words, you know, he still tries to put you under the law and show you where you failed to measure up and where you failed God and where you were not what God expects you to be. And so he criticizes you, he judges you. Oftentimes he uses others to do that. And so, you know, that's what he'll try and do. He'll try and get you to forget about your new life, your new identity in Jesus by criticizing you and judging you for not measuring up. And of course, his aim is to make you feel inferior and unacceptable to God. And so his greater goal is... Obviously, for you to forget about your new life and identity in Jesus when he does that. Why? Because he knows that when you feel inferior and acceptable, then you'll operate out of uncertainty and insecurity. And if you do that, well, he's got you where he wants you. So don't let him do that. Again, you know, when we fail to measure up, when we know better, we just say, Father, I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness in Jesus. Thank you for helping me. Do better next time. And it's not that you're now going to relate to Him on the basis of your performance. But yeah, we want to reflect the nature of God. We want to be those who emit the glory of God. Amen? Because that's our nature, praise God. So the third way that the devil tries to get us to forget about our new love and identity in Jesus is, is that when we are most vulnerable as a result of discouragement or disappointment. You know, generally... And especially if we've been trusting God and his promises for the longest time, and we don't see the results, we don't see things happening like they should, they don't happen when we want them to happen. Well, let's face it, we, we hit a low. And when we are there, when we are at our most vulnerable, because now we're trying to deal with disappointment and discouragement. That's when he comes in to try and get us to forget about our new life and identity in Jesus. I mean, let's face it. We all face adversity. We all face problems and hardships. And at the end of the day, he targets you when you are at your lowest. He kicks you while you're down. Why? Because he wants you to doubt your new life, your new identity. See, if you had new life and identity this wouldn't be happening to you. And I'm thinking, okay, well, Jesus himself faced all these things. And he said that we will face trials and tribulations. It doesn't change the fact that we have new life and identity. And in actual fact, if you think about it, that's how you are going to end up being victorious over those situations by your new life and your new identity in Jesus. So don't let the devil distract you from your new life and identity in Jesus because he knows that ultimately you will be victorious through the revelation of your new life and identity in Jesus. Amen. Remember too, that you cannot conquer giants without a well-established mindset of new life and identity in Jesus. Think about David when he defeated Goliath. His mindset was so confident and he didn't have what we have today. And so in the same way, when we face giants, We need to have absolute confidence because we know that God is with us. He's for us. He's not against us. But also, we have new life, new identity. So who we were in sinful Adam doesn't even come into play in the victory that we're about to experience. Amen. This is why it is so crucial and important for us to always remember. We have new life. We have new identity in Jesus. Praise God for that. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.